Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Each month, over 80,000 people download podcasts produced from the fevered mind of Royfield Brown. They cover a gamut of topics, like maps, politics, American presidents, history, the archers, Formula One, Jamaican culture, and Englishness. Go to wherever you get your podcast and type in Royfield Brown to discover a new favorite podcast today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. This is Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who is sat in a sunny, gloriously radiant Oakland. Today, however, we're going to move from Oakland to Washington, D.C. And we're going to speak to Bo Schuff, who's going to explain to us the reasons why some 700,000 American citizens do not have representation in Congress or the Senate. Bo, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm aging and balding, but apart from that, I can't complain. Boschoff serves as the executive director for DC Vote, having been promoted from director of advocacy in June 2017. Bo has spent the last 20 years on the front lines of both electoral and advocacy politics, from being a member of the Gore election team in Florida in 2000 to being on the staff of Hillary Rodham Clinton. Bo somehow finds himself engaged in some of the hottest political moments. In addition to organizational advocacy work, his electoral efforts led to the progressive majority in the Washington State Senate and as campaign manager, the election of Mayor Muriel Bowser. He joined DC Vote in 2016 with an eye to achieving full equality for the residents of the 51st state, Washington, DC. Now, Bo, if you were around in Florida in 2000, uh, were you personally responsible for the hanging chads and the defeat of Gore to Bush? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I often will say that I worked for Gore in 2000 and it was not my fault specifically. Um, I, I was a low-level field organizer at that point, just getting started. 
uh, in working in politics and, and the counties that I worked in, um, there were very few votes that changed when we did the recount there. Uh, so I, I will maintain that it was definitely not my fault. <laughs> okay, so you're not taking responsibility for that. Bo, tell us three reasons why Washington, D.C. should become the 51st state. Uh, I think the three, the biggest three things are that there are 700,000 people that live here, which is a greater population than two of our states. And the majority of those people are not involved in federal government work in any way. Uh, that's number one. Number two, uh, I think people are unaware of the fact that not only do we, are we not a state, Congress maintains the right to overturn the laws and the spending that we decide as local individuals. Uh, and number three is that there is an amazing history and culture and art scene here in the district that has nothing to do with federal history. It is our own unique uh, history to this place and our own unique culture and art to this place. Often people think about D.C. as the capital or the mall or monuments, but they don't think about the over 700,000 residents who have no representation in Congress and who are essentially locked out of the democracy that surrounds them every day. Pro-statehood Democrats have long called the lack of representation an injustice to district residents. Meanwhile, Republicans have labeled statehood as a power grab by Democrats, looking to change the electoral map. The United States is the only country which does not give the same rights to the people who live in its capital as everyone else has. Eleanor Holmes Noren has represented D.C. in the House of Representatives since 1991, but as a non-voting delegate. She has proposed statehood bills multiple times, but none of them passed until 2019. The District of Columbia statehood bill, H.R. 51, is passed without objection. Motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. It went nowhere in the Republican-controlled Senate, but she reintroduced the legislation at the opening of the 117th Congress. This time, she has 212 co-sponsors and commitment from House leadership that the bill would receive a floor vote. Democratic Senator Tom Carper of Delaware also introduced the companion statehood bill. We should all be concerned that today, more than 700,000 taxpaying Americans, over two-thirds of whom are people of color, continue to be denied a, a vote here in this body. Bo, I've tried to think about other countries around the world and how they treat uh, their capital city and this, the, the citizens of their capital city. This is really an anomalous situation if you look at it the whole world over. How did this situation come about? Yeah, it definitely is uh, out of the norm of all of the uh, countries in the world that have a representative form of government. We are the only one where the nation's capital is not represented in the legislative body. Uh, historic, it goes all the way back to the very beginning. And if, if you or your listeners have, have uh, seen the music, the musical Hamilton, the song, The Room Where It Happens, is also the roots of the, uh, of, of the status of the District of Columbia. Uh, wherein Alexander Hamilton needed votes uh, for the concept of moving, um, I'm sorry, of, of, of a national bank and of uh, getting rid of the debts of the northern states that had fought in the Revolutionary War. Most of the Revolutionary War was fought in the northern states. The southern states didn't necessarily want to pay for it. And at that time, the southern states had the stronger economy. They had more money, mostly, almost exclusively because of slavery and the cotton trade. 
Um, cotton and tobacco and other things. I'm, I'm simplifying for the fact that this is a, you know, could be a university class and we could take an entire semester. The deal was struck to locate the nation's capital, uh, in a southern location in exchange for the creation of the National Bank and then locating that in New York. Um, this, the, uh, the concept of making it an independent territory came about based on a big old lie that Am- Alexander Hamilton told in Philadelphia when the country was coming together. Uh, members of the Pennsylvania militia laid siege to the building that the Congress was meeting in at the time in Pennsylvania. At, at that time, our, our capital was bouncing around. Um, they laid siege to this building, but not to control the Congress. They laid siege to control the Pennsylvania legislature, which had not paid them for their service in the Revolutionary War. Uh, Hamilton told this lie that they were there to, to, to get money from the Congress and that in order to prevent an unruly mob from ever attacking the Capitol and stopping legislative business again, uh, there should be an independent district that serves as the nation's capital. Uh, George Washington and others said, hey, I know of this land just up the road from my plantation, um, and it sits in the southern part of this country, uh, southern part of the country and inside slave territory. And that's how the District of Columbia was carved out and created as a, as a, as the nation's capital, independent of any state. Land came from what was then the territory of Maryland, as well as the Commonwealth of Virginia, and 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 the District of Columbia was created. So it is a problem that has existed for 250 years. So you've explained the historical reasons for this anomaly, but what are the reasons why America hasn't fixed this situation in almost 250 years worth of its history? There must be a reason why the average American doesn't know of this injustice. Yeah, there's a number of reasons. All of them pretty much, though, come back to race and um, and the roots in slavery. For, uh, a, for a good chunk of time at the beginning, there just was barely anyone here. Uh, and under our original founding constitution that only granted uh, voting representation or voting rights to land-owning white men, there were even fewer people who qualified that were here. But the movement for representation was there from the beginning. There just was no power. There was no ability for the people of, that lived in this territory uh, to organize and, and try and get representation because there was no one that they could influence. As the population of the district grew, those efforts became louder and stronger and more organized. Um, and then it really became very much an issue of race. At multiple times through our history, uh, we gained some piece of self-governance, not full equality at any point. And even in one instance, the, the white, uh, residents of the district, um, basically voluntarily gave up their representation so that the growing black population within the district wouldn't gain any political power. Um, so that narrative has always existed and continues to this day that it is a struggle, um, and specifically of a majority uh, person of color district to gain representation and power within uh, a white dominated body like our Congress. Okay, so as a right thinking human being, I think I'm just about, well, I'm, I'm wholly behind uh, the righteousness of your cause. But what structural mechanisms are there that are preventing this? Would there have to be some kind of change of the United States Constitution so that Washington could become the 51st state? Um, yeah, let me, uh, there's just one, um, 
one small footnote to add, the 23rd Amendment did give us electoral votes. So the only place that the residents of D.C. get to participate in the federal elections is the president. So we do get three electoral votes, uh, but it would change the impact in the Senate in that um, uh, we would gain two Senate seats uh, and presumably uh, those would end up being, you know, uh, most likely competitive for the Democrats. And for sure, even I think more importantly than party affiliation uh, would be two senators who represent a 100 percent urban district, you know, a 100 percent urban state which is different than any other senator in the country. And I think that actually drives more of the fear uh, than even the partisanship. Is this really a burning issue for the average Washingtonian? Aren't they really worried about, you know, more basic issues, i.e. The, the cost of living and trying to struggle with the Washingtonian winter, which I believe can be brutal? If I was to ask the average person in the street, in D.C. today, would this be something which they said needs to be righted and would be the top of their list of grievances? Um, I, I think that's a that's a really good. Well, first, I have to footnote because of this whole climate change thing, it was 70 degrees here yesterday. So, um, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I contemplated turning on the air conditioning in my apartment in February. So weather aside, though, that's an interesting question. I think that if you get people thinking about it and put, connecting the dots, they understand that statehood impacts pretty much every piece of life here in the district. Uh, the DC Fiscal Policy Institute, for example, just put out a study a couple of weeks ago that we lose 3.4 billion with a B dollars in revenue because we're not a state. Um, the House uh, staff has put out that we lose um, tens to hundreds of millions of dollars in earmarks. Uh, from the from the federal government because we don't have U.S. senators, those dollars and those things could drastically impact our programs um, and the way that we deal with challenges within the district. If we're talking about homelessness or potholes, all of those things take resources to fix. And so I think that there's two things that come into play. One is just uh, people are living their daily lives, and you're you know you, uh, as you go through your daily life, you're dealing with your daily struggles, not your sort of macro struggles. And secondly, the residents of D.C., because we've been under this scenario for 250 years, have a bit of a like coping mechanism developed. Like we know that it sucks and we know that it is unfair and we know that it is unjust, but we have figured out ways to govern ourselves and move forward and build neighborhoods and put together schools and all of the important pieces that it means to be a community. Um, when we did test them, when we put it on the ballot in 2016, um, it was the highest vote turnout in the history of the District of Columbia, the most number of people participating. Um, and uh, we won, statehood won, by 86, with 86% of the vote. Um, so I think when people take a minute and think about it, they totally understand the impacts and they totally see how it uh, affects their day-to-day. -day. It's just like, on you know, we go through the day trying to just get through the day sometimes and it's not necessarily forefront. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm fascinated and confused to hear that Washington suffers from a lack of of finance specifically and ha- and and really how that really plays out is in the the quality of some of its infrastructure because if i look at london uh, london um has great public infrastructure in large part because parliament is situated there so the politicians can physically see when things are uh, degrading so so london gets a disproportionate amount of infrastructure spending in the uk yeah i think there there are uh, there are also a few factors there. I think one of the biggest ones, though, is that my and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of London is not only is it the political capital, it is the economic capital as well. And it is where the main driver of industry um, in the UK comes from. I know that there are obviously industries. Don't even start me. This is one of my favorite rants to talk about yeah. uh, why London is London. <laughs> Not only is the UK uh, one of the most centralized Western uh, economies, but in terms of structurally and industrially, um, London is the answer to just about every question. So if in the United States you want to make it in fashion, you will go uh, to New York. You want to make it in uh, theater, you might also go to New York. You want to make it in politics, you go to Washington. You want to make it in software, you go to San Francisco. You want to make it in Hollywood in, in acting, you go to Los Angeles, you want to make an aeronautics, you might find yourself over in, in Seattle. The answer to all of those questions in the UK is London. And I think that's why, that's a bigger reason why London has all of the, the stuff, as you said. Um, is that the, we, we all understand that politics is driven by commerce and by money and by donations. Um, and so if that, if all of the politics is driven by investment and that investment is all in the same city, uh, that city is going to be pretty, uh, to, to sum it up in, in a nice term or in a, in a, in a tight way. But I, I, secondarily, um, I also think that a fair number, uh, the geography in, in the UK is significantly smaller as well. So even if uh, members of parliament don't live in London, and again, because it is the one, one city economy, um, they are often there for other reasons versus the United States, where, as you know, living in Oakland, uh, we are drastically separated by a geography. And so the representatives from California, even like McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, who is no friend to the District of Columbia, um, they their interests on a day-to-day basis are not as impacted by what's going on in the district. They come here for a small number of, of days comparatively, uh, and then they go back to their districts. And their concern are the the 
conditions in their district uh, versus, I think, in the UK, where their concerns would be if London went to pot, um, the rest of the country would be loud about it as well. If DC goes to pot, folks in Bakersfield, like where McCarthy is from, are not nearly as concerned. Bo, please answer me this question. The, the country that bleats on that it needed independence from its benevolent colonial overlord because uh, it was saying about taxation without representation um, is an anathema. Uh, why is it that this situation is allowed to continue in Washington, D.C.? I cry hypocrisy. It is, but then people keep picking it up. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's completely right. For 250 years, we have paid federal income taxes on personal and corporate levels uh, and have no representation in, in the uh, – in the, uh, in the, in the parliament or the Congress in our case. Uh, it is the exact same arguments that were made, um, uh, 200 and some odd years ago that we fought a war over and won. Uh, so it is unbelievably frustrating. It's every single one of our license plates. If folks are listening from not in DC, the, the license plates say end taxation without representation because it has existed and, and it is the most egregious piece of, of this whole thing. If you're in the audience, now is your time to raise your hand and to come up and ask a question. And if you're listening to this podcast at home and you're wondering, wait on a minute, there's an audience. Uh, there is. Uh, quite simply, to get on a live recording of the podcast, all you need to do is to download the Clubhouse app. And when you've done that, then find uh, the House Mid-Atlantic and become a member. Then you will be alerted when we go live for these rooms and you can be in the audience for one of the live recordings of this podcast. Another quick begging bowl plea. Please write us a five-star review. Well, to thine self be true, write us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the best and the easiest way for us to expand our listenership because uh, with with more reviews, we go up those iTunes charts. Now, Bo, uh, back to you. Tell us a little bit more about your organization. Was it the first to advocate for statehood for DC? Oh, that's a great question. We're definitely not the first. We came about in the late 90s as there was uh, another effort sort of starting up, and we've been around since. Um, but throughout history, there's been a number of efforts, uh, even so far as we have a, uh, a political party here, the DC Statehood Green Party. Um, the League of Women Voters of DC, for example, has been working on this issue for more than 50 years, I know of, um, if not the entire time they've existed. And there are a handful of grassroots organizations within the district, Neighbors United for DC Statehood, the Statehood Coalition, uh, Stand Up for Democracy in DC, et cetera, that we work in coalition with. Um, the DC Vote sort of existed as a coalition of organizations to begin with and then realized that there needed to be sort of a, a permanency uh, and a continuity of advocacy. And our, our original role was around just autonomy for the district, just fighting back against some of the incursions by Congress into our local governance. Um, and over time, we have recognized, as many people have, that statehood is the only solution that ends all of that. And we have sort of started to lead with conversations about statehood, although we absolutely still do a significant work in the autonomy space. And Bo, exactly how is an organization which is striving for statehood for DC funded? Sure. Our organization relies on, I feel like a PBS commercial every time I do this part, right? Our, our organization is sponsored by taxpayers and, or not taxpayers, donors and supporters and foundations and, and sometimes, uh, DC companies, et cetera. Uh, but we are completely a donor, uh, funded and donor supported organization. 
Um, we get grants, we get a small grant every year uh, from the District of Columbia, but that's for a specific type of work. Um, and the rest of our funding comes from foundations, corporations, businesses, and individuals, significant number of individuals uh, chipping in because they believe in the cause. The District of Columbia, as it currently exists, would be reduced by this bill to a tiny enclave around the National Mall. And then the rest of the current district would be turned into this new 51st state. There are problems with that, the main problem being that the Constitution, as I read it and many others read it and have read it for a long time, does not permit that. The so-called enclave clause of the Constitution. And it was a single act that was completed at that point in time. Now, for Congress to change things at this point in time would require a constitutional amendment. You've got to recognize that the Constitution gives Congress only limited enumerated powers. If offered, I will vote to return residential portions of D.C. to Maryland, thus giving D.C. citizens the power to vote. Over time, uh, the, the proposal has been made to retrocede uh, the district or most of the district into the state of Maryland. But of course, that is not going to accomplish what the proponents want. The proponents want two more senators. And let's be candid, they want two more Democratic senators because the district is overwhelmingly democratic. Okay, so how exactly would this work on the ground? Would we have exactly what is Washington, D.C., be the 51st state, or is there some other geographical solution to the issue of statehood? Sure. You heard a little bit. I want to emphasize one of the pieces that was in that audio that you just played, which is the idea that a nation's capital would be preserved. Uh, that's a really important part of the statehood bill because we agree with uh, with opponents across the aisle and opponents, you know, on on either side that there should always be a national capital uh, where everyone can come and uh, celebrate our country's Fourth of July and also protest peacefully uh, when they disagree with things that have uh, that have been done in the people's house. So. Twice before, the District of Columbia has been shrunk from its original 10-mile square. If you look at a photograph or a map of the District of Columbia, you will notice that it looks like a square with a piece missing. And those pieces went back to Virginia for two different reasons at two different times, based on the petition of the people of uh, that lived in that portion of the district at the time, uh, working through the Virginia legislature and the U.S. Congress. So we've shrunk it once before, and that's our goal to do it again, is to shrink the federal district portion down to just the piece that people know uh, mostly, uh, what I call the postcard district, uh, which is the Capitol building, the White House, the monuments, etc., that should belong to all Americans at all times. The remaining land, the houses, the grocery stores, the schools, and everything else, that's what would become the 51st state. Once the the Senate passes that bill and the president signs it, there's a series of steps built onto the bill of things that we have to certify we've accomplished um, that then the, the president at the time has to sign off and say, yes, in fact, they have accomplished those things. And then we would become the state. Two years later, we would then have a follow-up constitutional convention uh, to make sure that the constitution that was written previously is meeting the needs of the people. And that would be, you know, the usual 
thing, the state constitution. We're not talking about messing with the federal constitution. Um, but there's no need or requirement, speaking of the federal constitution, for a constitutional amendment in order to admit a state. 37 times we have admitted states after the original 13. Um, none of those required constitutional amendments. Uh, they, and none of them even required a significant or a supermajority in the House or the Senate. It takes a 50% plus one vote in each of those chambers. Uh, and that's exactly what the proposal is. So, Bo, I don't know if I'm a bit dumb here. I understand there is a historical precedent, the reason why good citizens of Washington, D.C. don't have representation. But I don't really understand why uh, this situation has been allowed to continue. There's a racial element, which you've said before. If you're to tell me how much of this is uh, current party politics, i.e. Republicans not wanting the Democrats to have another two senators. How much of this situation is that? And then how much of this is fundamentally because of race? Um, it should be even including the taxation without representation piece, because that impacts uh, black and brown community larger than any white community here in the district, it is 100% a racial justice issue. Uh, it is, it, people, uh, we're having this debate uh, nationally about uh, what does systemic racism look like? And if you need an example of systemic racism, it is when a system that is dominated or, or constructed to be majority white, like our Congress is, has uh, jurisdiction over a, a area that is predominantly in a majority persons of color like the district is, and the district has no say in that overarching uh, entity. We have no say in the Congress of the United States as to what happens to our laws. That is a type of racism built into the system in place. That is systemic racism. And so you cannot separate the racial justice piece from the economic justice piece um, and, and from the democracy pieces. It is, it is intrinsic and it is baked in. Now is the time that I call upon people in the audience to speak. If you're listening to this podcast at home and you're saying to yourself, what audience? Quite simply, all you need to do is download the Clubhouse app uh, to your smartphone, then search for Mid-Atlantic when you get on to Clubhouse and you can be in the audience for one of the live recordings of this show. First off, good friend of uh, Mid-Atlantic is Briar B. Briar B, what's your question? Hey, Bo. Um, thanks so much for, for having me here to ask a question. Um, I had a, a kind of a, as I like to do, a multi-parter. Um, one thing I noticed a lot in American society is that we use competitive framing so extensively, which is we take an issue and instead of looking at the issue and its effect on humans, we say, okay, let's look at this bigger competition and how it plays out. So as you mentioned, we look at these people that, I mean, how, how core is it to the American psyche, this mantra of taxation without representation, um, one man, one vote, you know, which we've obviously had to amend to include women, et cetera. So this competitive framing really keeps us from doing something that probably most of us would be ethical. I think if you chopped up downtown Dallas, San Francisco, uh, Miami, nobody would be saying, well, it's not a big deal if we lose, you know, a couple hundred thousand votes. So I wonder if you think there's a way of truly taking out of the, the competitive framing aspect of how it would affect Democrats and Republicans. I know when they chopped up uh, the Dakotas and various other states, um, Republicans very publicly and intentionally said it was to gain more senators. So I know there's a history of doing this in the United States. Do you think there's a way out? 
And then as a second one, because I'm very curious about this, I hear a lot of times when people talk about the Electoral College, they talk about it in a very similar way to D.C. statehood. But a lot of them ignore that early on in the founding of the country, pragmatically, we had, as, as you kind of mentioned, literal militias that were responsible for running the country. There's a constant fear of runaway and rogue states. There was a, a concept of how central do we want our government, where what we have now would be completely unimaginable and uh, silly, you know, to imagine every state having its own personal military, personal governments and no central state that we all identify as being Americans. So I'm curious why people don't talk about that historicity, as well as just the pragmatics of back then they needed a neutral area because, quite frankly, it was so hard to travel. You know, right now from anywhere in the United States, you can get to D.C. in a few hours. Back then it would take you weeks. So there was a fear that if that local area rebelled, you would need to raise an army, which could take weeks to even get to D.C., right. in which time they could retain. So I'm wondering if you, why we don't talk about both of those issues and if there's a way to solve it. Um, those are all fantastic questions. Um, uh, the competition part, uh, it's really hard for me to answer that question two days before Super Bowl Sunday and be serious about it because I think competition is just baked into who we are. Um, and that one's going to be a really hard one to get away. Just being frank, like that one's just going to be a really hard one to get away from. The, I think that the, the answer though is not necessarily about, you know, whether it's going to be a Democrat or Republican, uh, uh, jurisdiction, because if you look through, like even just the last two states that came in, Alaska and Hawaii, well, if you go read the the history of it, Alaska was always going to be Democratic and Hawaii was going to always be Republican. Um, and what I often say is like, look, if the Republicans ran uh, candidates here in the district that answered the needs of the people of the district, they would win office. Uh, and that has proven true in the district. We had a Republican on our, on our state school board and or on, on we call it a state school board, even though it's a district school board, yada, yada. Um, even they, their term just ended. Uh, and we've had Republicans on the district council before, um, et cetera. So uh, I don't think it, it is, I don't think that part is as solid as people always think it is. I think all campaigns, especially coming from a campaign background, I think all campaigns are based on the candidates running. Um, as far as like, I, I always like sort of groan internally anytime somebody says the founding fathers thought, um, because A, it was a collection of just white men who owned black people as slaves and why we give them unending credence boggles my mind. Um, but they had a lot of stuff they were really smart about and they had a lot of stuff they were really stupid about and really just didn't understand would couldn't possibly visualize what was going to happen. I think that if you were to bring a founding father, quote unquote, back today, they would be just as stunned as to what the, the country had become as the fact that they could get on an airplane and not die, right? Like we are not the same place that we have always been and we are not the same people that we have always been. And what they were really, really smart about was creating a country and a governmental system that responds to the needs of the people and statehood the we are not responding to the needs of the people who live here in the district and that's why the change makes sense and is consistent with our history thank you for that question briar we might have time to come back to you before the end of the show for another supplementary question but first we need to go to monique Thank you, Rochelle. but we know each other um i'm the former deputy mayor's courtney snowden's friend um the last oh, hey. time we talked, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, I think you owe me a phone call. <laughs> um, uh, that could be true. Can... <laughs> <laughs> um, Royfield, you're going to have to edit this part out. Um, one, how can I help you get your message out 
uh, more broadly. Uh, so this is a personal pitch about me doing business for DC Vote. Um, so that's number one. And then two, um, have you donated to Leslie Harrod's campaign? She would be the first uh, openly gay mayor of Denver. So hopefully you will make a donation. That's it. Uh, I, I feel like I should answer both of those on a more personal level. And so I will answer your phone call. Thank you, Bo. Let's hope that, Monica, you get Bo's details. Next question is from Dominic. Dominic, you're up. Good afternoon, first of all. Great subject. Thank you for your guest. Um, to uh, An originalism question. Uh, uh, and I've heard it disparaged just now uh, that a bunch of white guys uh, – did this, that, and the other thing, and they don't deserve to be taken seriously uh, in the in the contemporary context as it relates to D.C. Uh, what were the original uh, uh, necessities that uh, forced uh, the article to exist uh, that created D.C.? There were those who were for it, those who would only vote for it if, under conditions, et cetera, et cetera, that ended up in the Constitution. Uh, that's my first question. Uh, and why is that now um, under my, uh, uh, intellectually worthless? Uh, and then the second question has to do with the contemporary uh, politics of uh, statehood which might involve more radical notions of politics in D.C. The D.C. Communist Party supports statehood. Um, Marxist, let's just say, militias would be permitted under a state constitution. Um, and I'm wondering what risks the nation accepts by having a radicalized um, a military in the nation's capital. Those are two points. I hope, hope you uh, uh, find them interesting. Sure. To answer the first question, the historic reasons for the establishment of an independent district that would house the, the Congress are built upon a lie told after the Philadelphia, Philadelphia shoot. I don't remember the name of convention, it. The term. Convention? No. Uh, mutiny is not the right word, but similar. Uh, the, the Pennsylvania, I, I mentioned it briefly before. Um, the Pennsylvania legislature was meeting in the same building as the U.S. Congress at the time because we didn't have a permanent capital. And the Pennsylvania militia laid siege to the building. Um, and Alexander Hamilton needing a reason to move the capital out of New York and down to the South uh, to make a deal with the Southern senators in order to get um, the National Bank created, uh, saw an opportunity through that siege, uh, even though it was not aimed at the Congress, um, to say that we would always need a place independent of all the states. That also goes along with the history you mentioned, that we had 13, or the previous person that maybe mentioned, that we had 13 different militias at that point actually running uh, things and keeping the country safe, etc. And when we needed to fight a war, those militias were organized into an army. Um, they the, and that's one of the biggest things that has changed, uh, right, is the fact that we now have a massive federal um, uh, military force, massive. Um, and we saw on January 6th, although it could have happened faster, 
uh, that when a, a violent insurrection tried to take over the business of, of the Capitol, that ultimately it was the, the police department of the District of Columbia, along with the Capitol Police, and then finally the Virginia and Maryland National Guards that ended that. But at some point, um, you ask about uh, what happens if DC, the new state, creates a, it's a radicalized, uh, military force by vote, um, which I don't think really sort of flows along with the politics of the District of Columbia, but uh, we have a massive federal military that would then end that process very rapidly. Um, and, and so I think that there are just significantly different things between when the country was founded and where we are now. Um, and the one thing that has continuously changed yet has not incorporated the people of D.C. is the right to be represented. The risk, let's assume... Uh, for arguments purposes, that there is a risk of of radicalization because uh, there are political um, uh, philosophies which um, espouse um, endless revolution uh, and see any development as a as progress towards um, a fulfilling revolutionary promise. If as you say, there are uh, justice issues relating to the creation of a, a, a state, D.C. state. Um, is it possible that the risks, that there is risk, and maybe they should be discounted um, uh, completely? Um, uh, is there a risk to the nation, not necessarily to the residents of D.C., but is there a risk to the nation of losing um, uh, control of our capital uh, under the most radicalized influences, and maybe that's uh, uh, you know sort of a beyond the pale kind of question, but it, it strikes me as the kind of Dominic. I really don't understand your point because we've had January the sixth happen without DC statehood where the Capitol building was stormed. So this idea about militias being out of control, uh, I, I just don't understand where you're going with this. Yes. So doesn't that mean that it's possible to happen and that it makes my question a little bit um, uh, less ridiculous and more... No, but, it, but, it, but that's irrelevant of whether or not I have a senator, right? Like... Uh, there, as I said, there there would still be a, a district that is under sole control of the federal government, which is the, the space that can, includes the, the Supreme Court down to the Lincoln and from the White House to the Jefferson, basically. It's a little bit more nuanced than that, but basically that cross. Um, it is the but federal government's responsibility. Oops, sorry. Yeah, but as, as a, a federal, state, you would be allowed to have a, mili a militia. No, as a state, we would be allowed to have a National Guard just like everybody else. Dominic, I really don't want to get too sidetracked by this, but thank you for that uh, question and uh, giving us pause for thought. Who's next on the list? Hi, thanks for the conversation. <clears throat> I hope you excuse me if I, if I sound too naive, but um, would integrating DC with one of the neighboring states solve your uh, problems, except for the senatorial representation, and why would you be against it? Sure, that's a fantastic question, and it comes up quite often. There is a notion of, of, a, of a concept called retrocession, 
which is the idea that the territory of Maryland, not the state of Maryland, the territory of Maryland gave up land just as the territory of Virginia gave up land. And from those two spaces, the District of Columbia was created. And so why couldn't we just take that land and give it back? It did happen on the Virginia side, but that happened because the plantation owners in Virginia wanted to maintain slavery as the people of the District of Columbia were, and most importantly, President Abraham Lincoln, were about to emancipate the slaves in the District of Columbia. And so the plantation owners in Northern Virginia, most of whom now have uh, neighborhoods named after them, uh, where their plantations used to be, uh, petitioned the, veter- the, the government of Virginia, as well as the federal government, to give that land back. There was no major... Um, opposition to it. And what's most important in that retrocession is that the people who lived in the area affected, the people who lived on that side of the river within the District of Columbia, the Potomac was the dividing line, um, they are the ones who wanted it. It was still a matter of self-determination. We're tired of, of living under the control of the District of Columbia. We would like to be to join the state of Virginia. Um, and that is what we are choosing for ourselves. Congress said yes. Self-determination is the underlying theme of all of the efforts uh, within the country. It is the you know the underlying effort of uh, getting women the right to vote, of of getting uh, uh, black uh, Americans the right to vote, etc. So, in the present day scenario, that is not what the people of D.C. have asked for, and it is not what the people of Maryland want either. Uh, both at the ballot box when DC people uh, supported statehood at 86% of the vote um, and in public polling on the Maryland side, that's not what either group wants. That is a solution. I come out of the marriage movement, out of the LGBT marriage equality movement, and I call it the civil unions of the statehood fight in that Nobody who's actually affected came up with that term or that idea. And the people who really would be effective are not interested in it. It's what is seen as a compromise middle ground, uh, but it's not what the people who are engaged want. Um, most importantly, it is the idea of retrocession is a watering down um, and, and the goal of it is a watering down of, of black power. Uh, D.C. would be the uh, largest percentage black state in the country when we become a state. Maryland is in the top five. And if you combine them, the goal there by the people who advocate for retrocession uh, is to water down that that voting power and create a space where you have divided the black community across two states instead of including them into one. Okay, everyone. So we are actually on the home stretch. We've only got both for about another 10 minutes or so. So if you have a question, now is your time. Thank you. So um, you had mentioned the uh, the return of land to Virginia, uh, and you use that as the example as to why uh, sort of cutting down the district would be allowable. But then you're also saying that you that it shouldn't be just returned to the state that provided it pre- uh, prior. Um, how do you? With that being said, how do you uh, justify it not going to a constitutional amendment? Since like those, those two things are not quite the same, uh, yeah. returning land to a state and creating a new state, how do you square that out? Yep, totally. Uh, these, it's, you've got three sort of points in there um, that intersect a little bit. So let me try to untangle. Um, the first one is, is I absolutely uh, I justify 
the idea of shrinking the district or changing the size of the district, um, because in, we have seen that that happened twice before. Uh, the, mo a big chunk of, of the Virginia, uh, what came from the territory that was Virginia went back to Virginia when the people of that space wanted to. And then there was another piece that went back because of a, a, a dispute over border. Um, what that means, the only reason that I mention that is that that is a, a precedent for the idea that there is no minimum size for the federal district in the Constitution. There is only a maximum size. The maximum size as prescribed by the Constitution is 10 miles square. But we have already figured out that that 10 miles square can be changed smaller um, should the people impacted desire it. The reason that uh, that the transfer isn't automatic back to Maryland, right? Is that that there's nothing in the agreement, in the paperwork, for, as it were, in the closing documents of the property, right? Basically, between Maryland and, and the district, um, or and the federal government, I'm sorry, between Maryland and the federal government, that said that Maryland gives this land only for the uses of a capital. There, nothing was in there. There's no historical writing that there was any assumption by anyone in Maryland at the time that they would ever remain claim to this land. Uh, once you sell your house, you don't get to, you know, like go back and sit on the porch just because you really like it. It's all about what is the legality of it. The reason that there is no constitutional requirement, um, the reason that there's no requirement for a constitutional amendment is that state admissions do not require a constitutional amendment. Uh, of any kind. We comply with the district clause that requires a uh, federal district no greater than 10 miles square by preserving a federal district that has no residences in it. Uh, the state admission requirement of the Constitution is that the land is not owned uh, by any other state, and this land is not owned by any other state, nor does any other state have any claim to it, uh, because Maryland gave up that claim when they gave it to the federal Thank you for the question. Thank you for a great answer, Bo. Uh, next, we have Michael on stage. Michael, go for it. Well, so I, I, I mean, I just wanted to make sort of a comment. I'm, I'm sorry I recently joined, but um, I, I think that retrocession with Maryland, I think, is the only option for the fact that to have D.C. have two senators and one congressperson, I think the two senators would really like swing the balance of uh of the Senate. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of Republicans would have a huge problem with that. Um, Maryland's demographics tend to swing very, I think it's like 65% Democrat when uh, voters. Um, and so the demographics of DC are overwhelmingly Democratic. So I don't think that Maryland would necessarily have a problem politically with this happening. Um, and I think just having like a federal triangle that is just basically to the board, you know, of the White House, Congress, and and the Mall, um, like to the memorials, I think that that would be something that would work. And having like Georgetown and Foggy Bottom, all those other areas, just retrocede to Maryland, just like you know Virginia had their retrocession back in the 19th century. I think that might be the only option to make sure that DC residents have representation. It's not going to be necessarily the representation they want, but it is representation nonetheless. Uh, Bo, just before you answer, yeah. Michael, listening to you, I think you're profoundly wrong because what you're not talking about is the righteousness actually of the case. We have 700,000 700, American citizens that do not have representation in Congress or the Senate, and you're reducing this down 
first and foremost to party politics, which is actually transitory as well. Who's to say that, let's say, in 20 years' time, that the residents of DC don't actually vote Republican? Shouldn't we be able to take out party politics and just look at the utter merits, dare I say it, the wrongs of this case? I think the the reason I presented it that way is when Washington, D.C. was designed um, back, you know, with Hamilton and, and Jefferson and Madison, like they were trying to make something that was going to be considered to be separate. It never had the intention of being part of a, you know, it was going to be a federal district. I don't think they expected people to be living there that were going to be voters. They just wanted to make sure that Congress wasn't double dipping and being able to, you know, have a second vote. Um, the reason I brought in it as modern politics is that I find that people will have object. I mean, people do have objections to it. I think this may help ease, you know, the spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And I think that may help at least Maryland make that decision to accept DC into it. But honestly, I think that it's going to be, it's a very hard sell for the country to have DC, you know, get representation in that way. Um, I think it's just, it's, it's just not going to be accepted. So, Bo, so, so, so let me just let me just jump in real quick, uh, both just to ask a question to direct this a little bit. Um, uh, to Matt's point, though, um, could you talk a little bit about uh, Senator Orrin Hatch and his 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 view about this? Because I think there was a view that perhaps rep- there were some Republicans at a period of time that disagree with what Matt is, is outlining here. And I don't know if you could briefly kind of highlight that. Yeah, the, there used to be um, Republicans who were for representation at different levels. There is not that I am aware of, and I am happy to be educated, um, that, that I am aware of any re- representative at the Senate or House level on the Republican side that was for statehood. Um, there's a couple of, of challenges in the argument that was just presented. Uh, one um, is that two senators for the D.C., it always sounds scary until you think about Wyoming, uh, which has about a 50 to 100,000, depending on, on uh, the number, uh, somewhere between 50 and 100,000 fewer people than the District of Columbia, yet they have two senators. Pretty sure they've always voted for the same party. Um, it, you don't, you, you either accept the idea that representation for all Americans is a fundamental value, um, or, and that self-determination is the way that that representation comes about, or you don't. And if you don't, you start to find political arguments against it. Um, there will always be challenges towards changing systems. There will always be challenges towards establishing uh, and awarding the rights that should already be afforded to a population. Um, the American public is accepting it. The 54% of the population actually accepts D.C. statehood under the present uh, plan. Um, and that's without significant outreach. Uh, so, um, a, the, there's just a lot of, uh, and, and if you, if, if you did, whoever the last person was, Mark, I think I'm sorry that I forgot the name. But uh, it feels like maybe you might have jumped into the conversation, um, later in the hour, because if you go back, uh, if you go and listen to the podcast after this is done, um, I, I answered significantly sort of the reasons about the original creation as well as the retrospective conversation. Uh, Bo Shuff, uh, why don't you tell people again where they can find your advocacy group online and possibly how they can donate to this worthy cause? 
We are DC, well, on the web, we are dcvote.org, and on all the socials, we are dcvote. We even have a uh, burgeoning TikTok that we are trying to get people to follow. So, um, uh, but yeah, dcvote.org or dcvote on all of the socials. Right now, the, we are facing a really big challenge with Congress trying to overturn two of our laws that were passed by our council. Um, and so folks, if, if you head to DC vote, you can figure out, you can see ways that, especially if you live out in the States, uh, that you can help preserve DC autonomy and the right for us to govern ourselves uh, through overturning those two measures. Thank you, Boshoff, for being our guest today. I can't really think in the nine years I've been doing this show of a literally a more black and white case of a wrong that needs to be righted um, in America. Uh, I, I think all of the evidence is overwhelming that uh, these American citizens deserve representation if they are being taxed. And as I said before, as a Brit looking at this, it's somewhat ironic that the rallying call of the American Revolution is now the rallying call of citizens in the capital city of the United States. This has been Mid-Atlantic. What we do here at Mid-Atlantic is we promote discourse, uh, discourse with people who agree with us and what more importantly, people that don't agree with us it's all part of the common space my name is royfield brown please send me an email at royfield at gmail.com if you wildly disagree with me think that i'm a lettuce eating hummus effet coastal elitist and uh, you can do that by sending an email to me at royfield at gmail.com and i will uh, read your email and you never know it might even end up on the show uh, we survive off getting uh, reviews on apple itunes that's the best and the easiest way for there to be some level of oxygen to the podcast apart from just people downloading it so please write us a review now um, i have been asking people to write reviews in the last few shows so now i'm going to thank those people who have put their fingers to their keyboards and have written us a review so we have four new reviews uh first three are from the united states and it's scotty yellano and he says, uh, great conversations, five stars. Also from the US of A, we have Richard C. 020, compelling global politics discussions. And again, stateside, we have Paul Ogu, who says, this is a great podcast. And then north of the border in Canada, we have Liz1946, who says, a great discussion of politics, sometimes occasionally Canadian, and does a, a deep dive into important current events uh, to get a shout out on the podcast write us a review on apple itunes and i'll read it out again this has been me royfield brown don't forget left to center politics is right thinking politics uh, we don't demonize our right-leaning brothers and sisters but we, what we try and do is win them, them over with the strength of our argument take care look after yourselves and let's make sure that dc becomes a state within the next 10 years 